Today on CityCast Chicago. Since the start of the pandemic, we've been told to follow the data. You know, the numbers that would determine how we could go about living our lives. Now, these numbers determined if kids could go to school, whether we could eat indoors and when or where we could travel. But let's be real. Data can be confusing or even misleading. You can have a lot of data and it doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know, kind of like when somebody wants to talk your ear off and not say anything like, you know, it's like you can you can go all day with it and it doesn't uh, necessarily produce something that means something unless you can connect it to the stories that are going on and, and, and the realities of what, what people are experiencing. Today, we meet everyday Chicagoans who spent their free time trying to make public health data, well, more public. It's Monday, March 14th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Starting today, Chicago public schools are making masks optional for students and staff. The district says higher vaccination rates and lower number of cases have pushed them to the decision. In January, with the Omicron variant, the case numbers CPS reported and what parents and teachers were actually seeing wasn't the same. Jacob Andre is a CPS parent who first revealed this discrepancy. He had created his own COVID tracker for schools based on numbers from the district. Turns out CPS was reporting all cases district wide, but for individual schools, they were only reporting cases that were closed, meaning they were investigated by CPS contact tracing teams. But all those positive COVID cases at individual schools just weren't on the dashboard. CPS acknowledged the numbers confusion and vowed to review their data tracking methods. I caught up with Jacob Andre about his behind-the-scenes work that led to this. I was hearing stories from people, you know, so I get messages on Twitter saying, hey, my case isn't on your dashboard yet. What's up with that? Or, you know, that happens all the time. Sometimes it'll take a... You know, they'll get an email out on Monday and it'll take until Thursday before, you know, that data is sort of made available to the rest of the world. So that's that's always been sort of a, a common problem. There's a little bit of lag in the data. But what we were seeing was in early January, sort of nobody's cases were showing up on the CPS dashboard. I know that at my own children's school, <laughs> that that first two days back, both of them had emails from their classes and there was a, a Facebook group of sort of all the parents who were like, so how, you know, how how many of you, like how many cat classes would be closed down if we were even in school? And it was like 25 of the 35 classes in the school would have, have gotten a notice. And then you'd go look at the CPS's dashboard and it would be like one one case. <laughs> you know, and you're like, I know that's not somebody sort of running around coughing in every classroom and then, you know, going to the mm-hmm. next one. So the, you know, there's something wrong with this data. And what I found was that if you like took all of the cases for the individual schools on a given day and added them all up, you know, you would think that would equal the number of cases within the district on that same day. And what I found was that that like wasn't the case that they were not showing up on those schools data. The main district data would show that there were, you know, 2000 cases in the first 2 days of school, but if you looked at the school data, there were only, you know, 400 cases. 
Have you heard from other parents or individuals who've used the systems that you've created to track this, uh, you know, and heard that it's made it more accessible to them, easier to understand? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've i heard from people who will tell me that, well, you know, one of the first things they'll do is is check my dashboard because it updated faster than the CPS dashboard. <laughs> Some of these people have, you know, a, a sick grandma at home or an immunocompromised, you know, sibling, and they don't have time for CPS to sort of close cases to make decisions for their family about, you know, what their level of comfort is. And, and giving them that data that um, sort of correlates that, you know, lived experience with data is a really powerful thing. And that was one of the biggest pieces of feedback I got from people who were like, I knew, I knew that, you know, what they were putting out wasn't right. And, and you've shown and explained what's happening and that's really powerful for people to you know not think that they're seeing things that they're not seeing that that what they're living is in fact reality as a parent have you felt just let's say since january and in, in your relationship to the data have you felt that cps's return to schools uh was warranted by the data and now as we move towards a mask optional policy does the data warrant that as well? The situation now, right, versus in early January is, you know, like worlds, worlds different, right? And so do I think that the situation as it was on the ground in January, you know, with the data warranted kids going back to school? Probably not. It would have been, as far as I know, CPS had sent my kids home with their Chromebooks like over Christmas break in case they weren't going to come back. You know, there, there's plenty of time to, to, to figure that out. Take a little bit of time going back to school. Lots of other school districts did that. You know, it's not like it was an impossible thing. Um, you know, and it was frustrating. There was so much, so much fighting about it. Um, you know, right now cases are, cases are low. I'm super happy that my, kids are not at home bothering me <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier this month, Chicago lifted its mask and proof of vax mandates for indoor businesses. As an immunocompromised Chicagoan that worried Kate Gitta. So she started a crowdsource map tracking which businesses were enforcing their own mask and vax requirements. I wanted to kind of have a list of places, just personally, of, of places that I could go still with friends and family. Um, but then it was also like, well, if I'm asking for this information, I'm sure other people were asking or wondering if there's places for them still, uh, especially because businesses are able to still make their own rules. Did you just ask people their most recent experiences or did you cross-reference it with the business? Mm -hmm. How did you go about sort of building the list out? Yeah, at first it was just like through a Google form. So I just put it up on Twitter. But I like check the business. If they say it's on websites, I go on their website to make sure like that's accurate. Because we've had a couple places obviously change their rules here and there. Um, and then if someone says that they're verified in person, I, you know... Hopefully it's accurate. Sometimes their websites aren't up to date. It is kind of a work in progress, and I think it always will be. Um, but if it's verified by employees or sometimes even owners have put their own information, I'm like, okay, let me make sure that that's there because then people know this is accurate. <laughs> what about 
adding places? Have more people just been offering places to add to the list? Yeah, it's been cool to see. There's been a lot of places, um, kind of like near West Side, I suppose, like a lot, obviously like a lot in like Logan Square and things like that. Like kind of, I, I guess like heavily populated, densely populated areas with a lot of like restaurants and bars. That seems to be the things that people want to see in the list or the places that people are still visiting and putting on there. Um, we've got a couple places like on the South side, like Hyde Park area. Um, and I think like South shore, but it is interesting to see like most of the places are still North, like up North, um, downtown immediate West. So there's a giant gap in the map. Have you ever had a moment where you thought to yourself that, especially with the continued politicization of masks, vaccines, mandates, that maybe you're accidentally creating a blacklist for some folks that they find this list and they say, <laughs> well, here are all the places I'm not going to. And let me share with my network all the places you shouldn't be supporting or shouldn't be visiting in the city. Yeah, I definitely have thought about that um, <laughs> because I, I didn't, I don't want that to happen. Obviously, I don't want these businesses to go out of business, especially because a lot of them are small, independently owned, um, the ones that are making these choices. Um, And there's been a couple people who have said, like, here's a list of places I'm not going to visit. And, you know, part of me is like, that's fine if that's how you're going to use it. Um, But I think overall, the majority of people are saying thank you. They're excited to share it. Um, So I think the positive intention of the list has really outweighed anyone saying, well, I'm not going to go here now. Anthony Moser is a software developer and not a huge fan of Chicago's online data portal. So he created his own site to access city data. It's got a perfect name. It's called Better Data Portal. I've been doing this for a while now, and I find that there's kind of like three, there are three big things that, that Chicago does that are kind of basically dishonest about the way that they use uh, data. The first thing is that a lot of times it's not presented in a context that lets you make meaning out of it. You know, they, they, they don't give you the rest of the information um, that, that makes it relevant, you know? So um, CPS, right? If you go and look at the school profile page for any school, it'll say right on it, you know, here's the demographics at this school and here's, you know, the percentage of the, the student population that's black and white and Asian, Latino, and, you know, okay, cool. Well, it tells you that and that feels, you know, a little bit like transparency, um, but it's not giving you the context of how does that compare to the rest of the district? You know, one school by itself doesn't really tell you anything. The neighborhood schools um, are very similar demographically to the total for the district. Um, Charter schools are disproportionately black. Selective enrollment schools are disproportionately white. You know, and these are the kinds of patterns that are present in the data, uh, but they're not visible when you look at things, you know, one little piece at a time. So that's the first thing that the the city doesn't give the context to match the data. What's the second? I like to say that Chicago is very transparent in the past tense, uh, which is that they make it very easy for you to find out kind of what's already been decided and what's already happened. Uh, But they don't make it easy to find out 
um, what they're planning or what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of context, transparency in the past, but not a lot of help looking forward and projecting how things are shifting, what may be coming to a neighborhood. And then the third thing? Uh, the third one is missing data. Um, <laughs> I, I was wondering what that one was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's the last one. And, and you know, I, I what I like to say is that uh, Chicago, Chicago doesn't collect data that it knows would require it to take action. Um, the the landlord registry, right? Like uh, there is no landlord registry, uh, right, and this came exactly. up just recently with that um, Albany Park fire. You know, it's it's one of these things where it's like if they had a landlord registry, they would know who the bad actors are, and if it was clear who the bad actors are, then they would probably face greater pressure to do something about it. But because there is no registry, they can say, oh well, we don't know. You know, we don't have that information. We don't have that data. There's nothing we can do about it, you know? <laughs> that feels like a snapshot of the of the pandemic. I've heard so many different terms, uh, references to demographic represent that represent hospitalizations and long-term co- so many different data sets. And I'll be real, it's hard to put them into into context at times. You know, that's that that challenge is there even if you're even if you're doing your best and you even if you're trying to be honest. Um but it's also, I think that there, it, it ends up providing a lot of cover for people who want to just say, here, we can put out tons and tons of data and, you know, kind of drown people in it. Um, but it's not organized in a way that really lets you ask the questions that, that are meaningful. The lack of data is the most dangerous, I think, uh, because, you know, when they're just not putting stuff in context, at least if it exists, then, then you know, people who are interested or, or are able to can still pull that information together and put it in context ourselves. Yeah, the city will not collect data and then we'll point and then they'll come out and say, well, there's no evidence that this is a problem. So, well, there's no evidence because you're not collecting any evidence. Bingo. In our newsletter today, we have more on Anthony Moses' Better Data Portal, including how he and other environmental justice activists used it to reveal citations against an asphalt company in his McKinley Park neighborhood. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Mayor Lori Lightfoot said any eligible city workers, including Chicago police officers, who had yet to get their first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine by yesterday, will be placed on non-disciplinary or no-pay status. The MLB lockout officially ended on Friday, and teams are getting things started for spring training in Arizona on this Thursday, including the White Sox and the Cubs, who will face each other in a St. Patty's Day doubleheader. I know y'all going to be lit for that. Some good news to get you through. It's Pi Day, a celebration of the mathematical constant Pi. Oh, you know, 3.14159265358979323. come on, come on, stop. Where you can celebrate with some of your favorite pizzas and pies from around the city. I'll drop a couple deals in the show notes. And we're coming up on two years since Illinois' stay-at-home order went into effect. What do you remember about March 2020? For my Southsiders and Westsiders, our neighborhoods have been hit particularly the hardest by COVID, so I really want to hear your stories as well. You can send them to us via text or voicemail 773-780-0246. Leave a name, your neighborhood, what was the last thing you did March 2020 before things shut down. As always, I appreciate you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Okay, one more time, one more time, one more time. So you got it clean.